It's good to see you guys, uh, as always, here worshiping the Lord and together. And uh, I trust that during this time, as we go into his word, as we fellowship together, that the Lord's going to remind you of his life in your life, that he's going to um, grace you uh, with the sanctifying presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, so that the person that walked in here is going to be uh, a different person who walks out. It's going to be renewed. You're going to be renewed in the truth, and you'll know the life of the Lord in your spirit in a, in a deeper way. So that is my prayer for our time together. In our series, Life, where we're going through First, Second, and Third John, uh, we've been asking the question that John has really been posing to us in First John chapter 5, verse 13. How do we who profess to know Jesus Christ, how can we have the assurance of eternal life? And whenever you see eternal life that's talked about in the scriptures, uh, if you've been around church for a while, we normally think about it as um, eternal life in eternity. And that is absolutely true. When Jesus comes into your life, he is, uh, the Holy Spirit is the deposit guarantee in your spirit, Ephesians 1. And uh, we have our citizenship in heaven. And now we have that uh, assurance of eternal life. But eternal life is not just for eternity. Eternal life is something to start to be experienced now. Because we have the life of Christ in us now. And so that life is not just promised to us to experience an eternal life, although that's true. It is also the life that comes to us in this moment. And that's part of the reason why you're here, right? Um, you're not here just to be reminded that, well, this, this life here on earth is just a waiting uh, kind of a tarmac on a plane while you're waiting to take off into eternity. Um, eternal life starts now because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and tomorrow. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And so if you're here today and, uh, you know, you are just defeated. You're defeated by, um, as John says in 1 John 2, uh, the lust of the eyes, uh, the lust of the flesh, the desires of life that are passing away. And, it's, and you're here this morning and you just feel like you are completely spiritually lifeless, drained by what the world has done to you. If you are here, as John says in 1 John chapter 2, and you have been um, the target for hatred that has come to you. Uh, He talks about hating our brother. We don't have the love of God in us, but you are the one who's been hated. And you're here just wondering if the Lord has a word for you. He does. He does. And if you're here and maybe you're watching or, or you, you listen to this at some other point on the podcast and you don't have the life of Christ in you, period. You haven't moved from death to life. Uh, this is, you are in the right place here this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. And so today we're going to uh, look at another assurance that God, uh, John has been speaking to us about. He's given us maybe about six different assurances of how we can know the life of Jesus lives in us. Uh, we're going to look at another assurance here today. And the assurance that we're going to look at is 
Believing the testimony of life. Believing the testimony of life. The life that Jesus gives to us. What testimony are we believing in here this morning? Um, all of us, we, um, can you bring, my, bring me my phone for a second? forgot to leave it. All of us have a smartphone. <coughs> Thank you. And if you look on <coughs> your smartphone, there's a bunch of apps on there, just as I do. Uh, maybe some of you have hundreds of apps on there. And I was looking at some of the apps that I have and how many of them are, uh, that I look at almost every day are really designed around the idea of a testimony. Um, they give me a testimony to believe. We believe in these testimonies when we look at these apps. I look at Yelp. Yelp is simply a bunch of people giving testimonies about what restaurants they like. And I may not have ever been there, but if I see it has a lot of great reviews, testimonies, I'm going to go there. Uh, I look at my Voice of Martyrs app. And I was giving, uh, I was looking on it yesterday. You know, they had, they highlighted a different area of the world where uh, people are persecuted. I was looking, it was Vietnam yesterday, a communist country um, where uh, people can have Bibles, but it's very difficult to, um, to evangelize. Chris was talking about evangelizing in the street. You get arrested or, or persecuted for that. But that's based on the testimony of people that are there. And I'm going to believe, I'm, I've never been to Vietnam, but I'm going to believe the testimony because of what they talk about on that app. I look at Twitter, my Twitter app. And uh, I, I follow all different kinds of people on Twitter. Just I want to know what people are saying about what's happening in the world <coughs> and uh, advancements in technology, what's going on in financial markets. And a lot of that is just these tweets that are testimonies of people saying what they think is going on in the world. Um, I look at Clubhouse, and sometimes I go in Clubhouse and I listen to go into these various rooms of what people are talking about. They're just talking about their life experience, what they think about the world. Um, I look at my Facebook app. Uh, one of the people I, face, uh, I uh, DM with the most is uh, my Compassion International child. Uh, he's not a child anymore. He's a man of about 32 years old now, but I started supporting him when he was 13. And then he aged out of, or actually younger, about eight years old. But then he aged out of the program when he was 18. And uh, he just said, we just DM, he, he lives in Rwanda. <clears throat> and I just go off his testimony of the pictures that he shows me of the house that he's building. And the, uh, the hunt, you know, whatever, the 80 chickens that he's growing for his business, how he's going to get married. I've never met him. We've actually talked on the phone one time. He called me during COVID from, from Rwanda. <clears throat> But um, And I send him money occasionally to help him out. But uh, I'm just going off the testimony of what he says his life is like. We listen to testimonies and we, we make decisions about our life. Think about the party that we had on Friday night, Friendsgiving, at our house. A lot of you were there. And how much of a role testimony played in that night? Um, as I was walking Earl and Nicole out to their car, you know, uh, I, we were talking about board games, and we were talking about Settlers of Catan, and um, how I used to be really big into the online gaming world of Settlers of Catan, and uh, they were just kind of believing my testimony that I was once ranked ninth in the world at that game in the online gaming community. They don't know, but it's true. It's true, and that's my one claim to fame. Uh, that's the one thing I was truly great at in a worldly way, is the online uh, 
and I was telling them, you know, I've been watching some of these YouTube tournaments of settlers, and I was looking at their strategy. I go, I, I could play with these guys. I could play with these guys. Um, so uh, we were, you know, if you were there at our dinner, I was raving about the ham that we, uh, that Lorraine had picked up from Ham and Scram, and I said it was the best ham I've ever had. It's like a pork roast, but it tastes like a ham. And you were just going off my, t- I, I got my car towed this week and I was telling my car tow guy, you got to get this ham from Ham and Scram. He's like, okay, I'm going to go get it. He didn't even know about it, but he's just believing my testimony. Uh, <coughs> David Kim showed up with his Tesla Model 3 and <coughs> we were talking about all the testimonies of, of Tesla owners and and what it's like to drive that car. At, but my favorite moment of the night, as for many of you that were there, was um, uh, the, the time of sharing that we had. You know, the Bible says to outdo one another in honoring one another. Uh, Paul talked about in Romans 16 how uh, he, he was just commending different people uh, at the Roman church uh, in their faith and how kind that they had been. And so, as many of you know, we had a time of open sharing. There's maybe about, I don't know, eight or nine people that we shared about. And a lot of people came up to us and said that was their favorite part of the night. Um, it's not often that we get a community to come around us and honor us through testimony. We make decisions about our lives by the testimony of others. We appreciate when we hear honoring testimony about our lives. And my guess is that when you came to faith, it was largely on the testimony of others. Uh, A lot of us, we made our decision about whether to follow Jesus Christ or not based upon the testimony of other Christians. They're telling us about what Jesus did in their life, about what he can do in our life. And it's just like this subjective testimony that we're listening to and we're making decisions. Do I want to believe the story? Do I, want to, do I see their life? What are they telling me? How did, they, how did you come to faith? And we're listening to this and we're, we're kind of basing our decision on their testimony. We are basing our decision of faith on the testimony of the apostles. We've never even met them. We're separated by thousands of years. And even in the Old Testament, thousands of more pe- years between us and them. We're basing our faith on the testimony of these people who wrote these 66 books inspired by the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to look at the most important testimony. And that testimony is the testimony of the Lord. The testimony of the Lord about his own son, Jesus Christ. We've already established the fact that we all make decisions and even maybe even come to faith largely on the basis of testimony, the testimony of people. And so today in our passage, we're going to look at the assurance of eternal life through believing the testimony of life that God has given to us, which is far more trustworthy, far more important. And so um, let's stand together and we'll read our passage in 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 through 12. In 1 John chapter 6, chapter 5 rather, verse 6 through 12, John writes this. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, 
but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Notice in this passage how many times he used the word testify or testimony. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not of God does not have life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us this testimony to point us to life, to life in you through your Son. Um, This is a testimony that we want to share with the world. This is a testimony that you've given to us, um, which is greater than the testimony of man in which we base our lives on. I pray that uh, we would be reminded that this testimony that lives in us is a testimony of life. For eternity, yes, but uh, to be experienced now. And so many of us need to be reminded of that now, Lord. And so may you do a sanctifying work to uh, remind us and renew us in that life now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, have a seat. Thank you. So we're going to look at this passage in 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 through 12. And you want to be asking yourself, Do I believe this testimony from God? Am I basing my faith, my life, my eternity on this testimony? Eight times in these seven verses, the Apostle John uses the word testify or testimony to talk about uh, the eternal life of Jesus Christ. This word testify or testimony comes from the Greek word marteo or martaria. Marteo, tero, uh, I'm sorry, mar- martyrio or martyria. Uh, it means to keep a record of or to report of. Uh, to keep a record of or to keep a report of. That's what testimony means. It's largely where we got the, uh, the word martyr from. Martyrs are people who give testimonies, who keep a record or report of, um, of what has changed their life. And so from this word, we get the word martyrs. And just as we have based our lives today on human testimonies, the Apostle John uh, was giving us a human testimony inspired by the Holy Spirit. John is testifying in this epistle about the life of Jesus Christ. And he is testifying as one who knew Jesus directly. He said in 1 John chapter 1, that he had seen Jesus, he had looked upon Jesus, he had touched Jesus, he had heard Jesus. This was the life of God manifest through Jesus Christ. John's giving us his personal human testimony. And John would have known of other human testimonies as he's giving his own testimony about Jesus Christ. John would have known about the Old Testament uh, saints who gave their human testimony about Jesus Christ. He would have known about uh, the Old Testament saints like Isaiah, like Micah, like Hosea, 
like Jeremiah, who all testified in the Old Testament about the birth of Christ. John would have known about King David, who wrote in the Psalms, who testified about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John would have known about the prophet Isaiah, who in Isaiah 53 talked about the theological significance of the death of Christ. And John would have known about um, Simeon and Anna, who were there at the temple when Jesus was presented. And, and he was presented at the temple or so eight, eight days or so after he was born, who testified that this was the Messiah that was born. John would have known about John the Baptist, the one who said in John chapter 1, that he is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, and we are to make straight the way for the Lord. So John and the Old Testament saints and the New Testament figures and others all testified of who Jesus was. This is one of the reasons why you can trust the Christian faith. You can trust it on a human testimony level more than Islam, more than Buddhism, that are based on one man who had an ecstatic experience, a went into a trance in a cave, Muhammad, and then just came up and said, hey, here, here's these writings I got, and we're going to turn into the Quran. Or Buddha, who was under this tree, and, and he just said he came to this moment of enlightenment, that all of life was suffering, we must overcome it, become one with the universe. See, the, what you believe in the Christian faith about how to find spiritual life, who gives it, is based on the testimony of many people over thousands of years that were inspired by God. It wasn't just one person who wrote this book or who had this vision. This is testimonies, 400, over 400 Prophecies prophesied about the life, death, and birth, death, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are all testimonies. But in our passage today, the primary testimony is the testimony of God. So let's look at it. In verse 6 through 8, John highlights God's testimony uh, in three ways the water, the blood, and the Spirit. Verse 6 through 8. The water, the blood, and the Spirit. In verse 6, he said, this is he, that's Jesus Christ, who came by the water and the blood. And it wasn't by water only, but by blood. And then he says again in verse 6, the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. And all three of these, verse 7, all three of these testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and all of these agree. Verse verse 8. What John is saying in verse 6, 7, and 8 is that God's testimony to us about Jesus Christ, in addition to the Apostle John's testimony, who also knew of all the other people's testimony, but God's testimony is through the water, the blood, and the Spirit. What does he mean, the water, the blood, and the Spirit? See, when God gives a testimony, he can just declare uh, by divine fiat, This is how it is, and that's enough of a testimony. But God has actually given us the water, the blood, and the Spirit as signs that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the life of God. What is the water? The water 
represents most likely, it, it's not defined here in this passage, but uh, most commentators um, would define the water as the water of Jesus' baptism. The water of Jesus' baptism. When Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus' baptism, and you remember at Jesus' baptism, um, he comes to the, John the Baptist, it says in the, in the uh, synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Luke, and he says, I need to be baptized by you. And John turns to him and says, you need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. And then Jesus says, no, you know, scriptures must be fulfilled. We must do this. And, um, and John baptizes Jesus. And remember, when Jesus comes out of the water, the gospels record that the spirit appeared like a dove and descended upon Jesus. And he was like this, this in white, brilliant light. And they all heard the voice of the father who said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so all of the Trinity was involved at Jesus' baptism. And that was really formally the beginning of his public ministry. And so when John says that the water testifies about Jesus Christ, he is saying that Jesus' validation is from God as a sign from God by the water baptism in which the Trinity was all involved. He says a second sign. He came by the blood. What was the divine testimony of the blood? Well, this was the blood of the crucifixion. It was the blood of the crucifixion. And again, uh, this was a divine event. This was God's divine testimony that Jesus was the Son of God on the cross. The Gospels tell us that when Jesus' blood was shed at the crucifixion, it was a divine event. It was not just some man suffering uh, out of the goodness of his heart for humanity. This was a divine event. And God gave us a divine testimony. The Gospels say that when Jesus was on the cross, that from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, the sixth hour, they, uh, in, in uh, Jewish culture, they would measure the hours from midnight. So when it says the sixth hour, that's 6 a.m. to the ninth hour, that's 6 a.m. Remember the trial that happened um, uh, happened at night, and then he was put to the cross in the morning. So it, the gospels say from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, for three hours, there was darkness over the land. That was a divine testimony of God that there was darkness coming upon Jesus on the cross. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a divine testimony. There was, there was a, a cataclysmic event happening on the cross when Jesus himself cries out to God, his father. It says in the Gospels that when Jesus was crucified, the veil of the temple was torn from bottom to top. That was the veil that was separating the holy from the, the area of the holies from the holy of holies. The veil was torn. There was a, a veil that separated. That was the holy of holies was an area that uh, only the high priest could go into one day a year to atone for the people's sins. And that veil was, was ripped and, and fallen to symbolize that Christ's work on the cross had separated the holiness of, that had brought together the holiness of God to us through Christ. The blood on the cross was also symbolized as a divine testimony because the gospels say there was an earthquake 
that happened at that moment. And we often forget this, but in the gospel of Matthew, it says, as a result, as the earthquake happened, the graves and tombs of many people rose from the dead. These people who were in the grave rose from the dead and bodily walked around so that people could see them. We forget that part of the story. We always think about Jesus' resurrection, but it says in Matthew 27, there were other people when Jesus died who rose from the grave and started walking around that people could see them as a first fruits of the resurrection. I mean, that's another proof for the resurrection. All of a sudden, you see your dad walking around saying hello, who passed away. And so the water of Jesus' baptism, John is saying in verse 6, 7, and 8, testifies. That's God's testimony, a divine testimony. The Trinity was involved. The blood of Jesus being crucified on the cross was God's divine testimony with all of those divine signs. And he says the Spirit also testifies, verse 8, with the water and the blood, and all of these agree. The Spirit of God was present in Jesus' baptism. He came upon Jesus like a descending like a dove, it says. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was present at Jesus' temptation in the desert. It says, when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by Satan. Jesus went into the desert, not just by chance. It says he was actually led by the Spirit to be tempted. All right, because he knew he would overcome. Uh, it says throughout the Gospel of Luke that Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit, that he rejoiced in the Spirit. And so the Spirit was present in Jesus' life. And John is reminding us that the Gospel that we believe is divine in origin, it's divine in testimony. You, you believe unto eternal life, not just because you heard this amazing testimony of this person who, you know, spit in the face of God and, and uh, uh, was face down in the gutter. And then Jesus came to them and they responded by faith and their life turned around and they became this missionary that led thousands of people to Christ. Those testimonies are amazing and they inspire us. But the real reason why we have come to faith is not just because of those kinds of testimonies. It is because the testimony of God, you wouldn't believe. You wouldn't be here uh, believing what you believe about Jesus if you did not believe that what happened in Jesus' life was of divine origin. If you didn't believe that the testimony of God was behind it. See, anything that demands your allegiance, that demands uh, your life, that you're going to submit to as Lord, that you will even die for if called for, you have to know that what you're giving yourself fully to, that God's testimony is behind it, and not just your friend's testimony. And this is what John reminds us of. In verse 9 and 10, he talks about if we receive the testimony of men, verse 9, the testimony of God is greater, right? We need God's greater testimony than just the testimony of men. For this is the testimony of God, that he is born concerning his son. God's testimony 
is about his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 10, whoever believes in the son has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe has made God out to be a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. God testified to Jesus in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And, you know, he, um, he gives us this testimony, which is greater than men. And God's testimony is it's logical. It's the testimony of men. But it's the testimony of God. And I think that's very important that you take a moment to remind yourself that in the end, what you base your faith on uh, does not really stand on your philosophical arguments for the faith, faith, as important as that is to have an apologetic argument for your faith. That's important. But that's ultimately not what your faith stands on. Your faith does not ultimately stand on your ability to, uh, to, to logically reason out your faith in a way that is uh, consistent and uh, that could win you a- an argument in a court of law. You can do that. You can talk about evidence, and that's important. But in the end, your faith doesn't even rely on that. See, the, the reality is that our faith is just that. It's faith. None of us have the ability to produce God at a moment's notice and produce the proof of God in, contra, uh, in, in refutable evidence of God. We, believe, we come to a place where we think it is uh, infallible, and it is. But in the end, that's why it's called faith. It's because you either take a step of faith or you don't. And uh, we base it on a person's testimony. We all base our lives on the testimony. Are you basing your life on the testimony of God? Uh, Bonnie was, um, she texted me last week and uh, she said, hey, I've got a friend and uh, he lives in Chicago. Uh, He's not a believer. Can you make time to talk with him? And I said, sure. And, uh, you know, we, we, I texted with the friend, uh, her friend, and uh, we set up a Zoom meeting for this past Wednesday uh, of this week, the, the day before Thanksgiving. And uh, we ended up on this Zoom call for three and a half hours, okay? I gave him three and a half hours of my time because anytime an unbeliever wants to explore the faith, I will make time for that. And so uh, we spent three and a half hours talking that he was just, I just said, tell me about how the Zoom call came about. And he, he you know, shared about how he grew up in church and that uh, he's really questioning his faith. He's in a PhD program uh, in Chicago. He's kind of away from family and friends, and he's really questioning about what his life is about. And so um, I, I, at first I, I, I said, you know, you ask really good questions because this is what a lot of us have been studying with my family and in the disciple design lab when we were talking about Ecclesiastes. And, you know, Solomon was smarter. I mean, you're in a PhD program. I've got a BA and two masters. And so we're really into school, right? I get where you're coming from. 
Uh, but you know what? Uh, in the end, our knowledge is not going to matter, our worldly knowledge. Um, and Solomon told us that. And, uh, you know, I'm going to write a book, a couple books. You may write a book from your PhD program, but it's going to end up on some shelf selling for 50 cents and some used bookstore someday. Okay, People are going to forget who you are. And you don't even know the name of your great grandparents. Okay, And we forget. Who we are. So all this is going to pass away. So I, we started that conversation. And he goes, yeah, I can totally relate to Solomon. And then he started asking me question after question of the faith. And it, we kind of put it. In these categories, I said, you know, all of your questions, I kind of put them into three categories. One category is questions of evidence of the faith. And uh, another category is problems with the church. And then another category is, you know, your human existential travels as, as a human being, right? And all of your questions kind of fit into one of those three categories. So let's take a look at each one of those categories. And so in this first category of, um, of evidence, he was like, well, do you believe in a young earth theory or an old earth theory? Uh, because I, what do you think? And I said, you know what? I, I really have no problem with the young earth theory because uh, carbon dating, I, I'm really not into that because what they don't factor in is the fall of man. And uh, when sin spread out throughout the whole universe, that could have affected the speed of light. And if you change the variable of the speed of light, if you change the variable of the molecular structure of string theory of 17 different dimensions through sin, all of that carbon dating that we think is so correct goes out the window. And so I, I, just, I just don't even place a lot. Oh, the carbon dating shows us we're 6 billion years old or whatever that is. I just say, if I'm going to believe in God, sin could have changed all of this science, and I'm just going to believe in God. And, um, and then we talked about questions about uh, the church. He said, well, what's the church's stance on the environment, on, you know, uh, racial reconciliation, on the LGBTQ issue, plus issue? And um, I said, you know, so I gave my view on all of those. And then it came to him and what he was personally struggling with. And at one point he said, you know, I, I, just, I just need to know how you, me, can be so certain of what you believe in. And I said to him, you know, I, and he goes, you know he's, he's a smart guy. He's a PhD student. So he said, I, I need evidence. And I just said to him, you know, um, I don't believe that evidence is going to bring you to faith. I, I think there are some people, there are some people who will examine all the evidence. But I turned to him, I said, I don't prove it to you. I'll bet that you have not read the entire Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Have you actually read the entire Bible? I don't think you have. He said, no. See, you haven't read the entire Bible, but you're in good company. Because no Christian reads the entire Bible before they come to faith. Did you? Did anyone here read the entire, every word of the Bible before you made your profession of faith? Raise your hand. No, I'm serious. If you have, I mean, that's impressive. But nobody is. And you online, if you are, you're lying. Because nobody has done that. Okay? There's some person, some intellectual in an ivory tower who's done that. But nobody does that. None of us did. And neither did he. And I said to him, did you examine 
all of these, like these, these thick books that talk about all the archaeological evidence, philosophical evidence, evidence that demands a verdict part one, Josh McDowell, evidence that demands a verdict part two, because part one wasn't enough, right? Part two by Josh McDowell. These two things, did you read all that? No, he did it. I said, see, the reality is this. Nobody comes to faith by examining all the evidence first. You might have your questions, that's fine. What we do is we make a leap of faith based on testimony. We say, I think that's true. What, what, what that person is saying about how God changed their life, I, I'm, I'm convinced. And then what I'm hearing about these scriptures, about what these apostles and God is testifying to me, I think that's true. What do we do? We make a subjective decision to believe what is true. And then after we have made that decision, we gather evidence to support our a priori assumption. It's what sociologists call the sociology of knowledge, by the way. Um, that's not explains the Bible. It's just the Bible is that's how it is with faith and sociology came up with an explanation. But the way we make decisions is we make a commitment to believe what's true before examining all the evidence. And then we start to gather evidence to support that a priori assumption. And you may think that's intellectually dishonest as a Christian, but I would argue that's how people are, period. Okay, if you're racist against someone else from a different race, you did not come to that conclusion because you went back and you examined all the history of the conflict between races. And then you looked at all the sociological arguments of, of why and, and, uh, and reconstructionist arguments about history of how what you read in your history books was written by the winners and then you need to go back and read it, that were written by minorities and how history looks very different. You didn't do that. What you did was you came to initial, if you're racist, you came to initial conclusion about someone based upon an experience and then from that point forward, if you continue as a racist, you have gathered information to support your racist view. See, we're all like that as human beings. And often that is how faith works. Paul had an experience with Jesus on the Damascus Road. And then the Holy Spirit used him to theologize about that. These people who came to faith in the book of Acts it was the same thing. They heard the testimony of Jesus Christ and they made the decision to say that's true. And so when John says in verse 9, the testimony of God is greater than the testimony of man. Um, this is how faith works. You either believe in the testimony of God or you don't. And that's what the Christian faith is. In verse 11 or verse 12, and verse 12, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is a testimony that we have Jesus. Whoever has Jesus has life. And whoever does not, does not. When we have life in Jesus Christ, 
This is when John talks about throughout his epistle. We abide in God. We abide in Jesus. Abiding in God. Abiding in Jesus is what gives us life, both now and for the promise of eternal life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. We have life in God, in life in Jesus. And when we are in fellowship in the church, John had told us previously in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, he says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We experience the life of God in a fuller way through the love of God in the fellowship of the church. That's why it's important to be in community in the church, you guys. It's because you're reminded of the life that you have now in Christ, the life that you have in eternity in Christ. And there is something about being in community with the church that is life-giving to us. You cannot get that watching just YouTube videos. Uh, You can find the best and the brightest of preachers out there on YouTube. Uh, But that doesn't, and that can renew your mind. And there's value to that, okay? I do that too. But unless you're in community with God's people, uh, you're not, according to 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, being perfected in love. And, And is it any wonder that how many Christians do you know that profess to know Christ and they're just kind of on the margins of being in community with, with, with God's people? And I'm not thinking about anyone, any one person when I say this. I could literally reel off dozens of people's names that fall into the category that I know. And they're just kind of on the margins. And they're, yeah, they're kind of, they're believers, we would say. But they don't see any value in real community with the people of God. And they're not being perfected in love. And so what happens is that people walk around and they may still be believers, but they're like this empty, hollow shell of a person. And um, they fall into 1 John chapter 2, being more in love with the things of the world and the world passing away. You know what I think? I think that if you've been a Christian for a period of time, that when you hear 1 John 11, verse 11 and 12, this is a testimony. God has given us eternal life through Jesus. Whoever has Jesus has life. Whoever doesn't have, does not have life. I think when we hear that, we kind of, it, it just kind of goes mego, right? My eyes glaze, glaze over. I've heard it so many times. What, what does that really mean? Yeah, yeah, I know what that means, Pastor, theologically. Uh, I know that uh, I believe that, but do I, it doesn't really hit me in the same way that, as it used to. And I think what I've realized over 2021 is that you read verses like verse 11 and 12, whoever has Jesus has life, whoever doesn't have, doesn't have life. And it starts to really mean something again to you again when you go through experiences in your own life or you interact with people 
that lack life. See, when you go through experiences that lack the life of Jesus Christ, whether that's in the world, interacting with people, when you go through personal experiences of death, you are then reminded of why the life of Christ is important for those of us that tend to forget. And throughout 2021, I've been reminded of that. You know, I almost dying in May myself and uh, seeing my mom die this year. Uh, you know, uh, my last remaining sister is um, under a death sentence right now from uh, blood cancer. And so I've been thinking a lot about death nowadays. And when I was in that hospital bed, um, you know, you're just sitting there for like five days. You're staring at a wall. And you have a lot of time to think. And uh, I came away from that experience with two things. One was, um, I just resolved in my mind, you know, I'm okay, if, if, if something happens to me, then I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I don't want to leave this earth, but I'm ready because I've made my peace with God. But in the aftermath of that time, one of the interesting things for me, and I've told some people this, is that death has become so much more real to me. So much more real. My mortality has become more real to me. Before May of this year, I would look at death and say, okay, it's reality. I've been to funerals. You know, I've, I, I, uh, you know, I've seen people in my family die. But, it, it, you know, I didn't feel it in the gut in the same way, right? And I think it, when it happens to you, you, you it really shakes you. Uh, and now it doesn't shake your faith, but it makes your mortality so much more real. And I have come to a place over the past six months where, you know, some people, they have near-death experiences and they say, oh, well, now I just live life to the fullest. I, I take every day as a gift. I think it's, it, it's supposed to go deeper than that. I think you're supposed to look and go, oh, my goodness, death is really real. And that it's really real now. It can happen at any point. And um, I need to run to the life of Christ and to make sure I'm right with him. And I look at verse 11 and 12 differently now. And uh, you will too, when death personally becomes real to you. You will look at verse 11 and 12 more real to you when um, you experience the death of the world in your life. And you're reminded of that. Uh, When you're surrounded or when you interact with people who hate you. You know, John talks about in 1 John chapter 2, if you hate your brother... The love of God is not in you. When you're around people and you are the recipient of true hatred or you are reminded that you have hate, true hate, not not a moment of annoyance on the freeway. I'm talking about true hate for someone. And you experience the depth of that darkness and evil in your own heart. And you start thinking thoughts like, I don't care. I don't care. 
I hate this person. I want them dead. Um, and uh, I just want to move on with my life. And they're going to get what they have coming to them. Okay? I have thought those thoughts throughout 2021 at my weaker moments. Not about you guys. And I've been running, oh my goodness, what was that? What was that? What was that going on in my heart? All right. Um, that's not the life of Christ. That's not it. That's, that's the death of the world in me, coming at me and living through me. And I'm reminded that um, the life of Christ I need and, and, and yes, I have him for eternity, but I need him now. And thirdly, finally, you are reminded of the importance of verse 11 and verse 12. Um, not just when you, death becomes real to you, not just when you see death in you or death coming towards you through other people, uh, but when you find yourself idolizing the things of the world. In love with the world. John, John says in 1 John 2, uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, loving the world. Don't love the world because it is passing away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever, right? 1 John 2. 1 John 5, verse 11 and 12 become more real to you when you see in your own life the love of the world. And, um, you know, I've, I've experienced a lot of that this, this past year. You know, I, I think that when none of us is at our best, when we're tired and stressed and hungry, I mean, none of us is at our best when that. I think what happens is that um, when your body is physically weak, uh, your resistance to temptation is great is is less. When we're tired and hungry and stressed, we're more impatient. We get angrier, either easier. We fall into various forms of temptation, and. Um, you know, moments I, I would look at the things world and I say, man, that's, I felt this greed inside of me at times. I felt this pride inside of me at times. And uh, I, I would look and go, oh, you know, this is not who I'm supposed to be. And this is not who I am in Christ. This is why I need the life of Christ. And you know, I'll tell you, this is the mistake some of you are going to make. A lot of people make this. I think there are people in this church that are making this mistake right now. Is that when you look at your life and, and you, you see the moral failings of your life, you see how you have uh, prostituted yourselves to the temptations of the world. Nobody else maybe even knows this but you and God. And the mistake some of you will make is you will say, oh my gosh, like, I'm just so, like, don't even deserve to be at church. I don't even deserve the love of God. I, you know, I can't even face God or the people at church. It's the, the shame, the guilt. No one can relate to my failures. No one can relate to my sin. 
And so what I will now do is I will just run away. I will now uh, just deal with it on my own. I will isolate myself like the man in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. Whoever isolates himself, uh, it breaks out against all sound judgment. And he's hiding his own sin. And then it just becomes worse, right? And I see this over and over and over again. And you cut yourself off from the life that you, that you have in Christ. Now, it doesn't mean you cut yourself off in a saving way, but in a sanctifying way, absolutely. Absolutely. If you're not hearing the word of God, if you're not in fellowship with the body of Christ, if they can't spur you on towards love and good deeds and vice versa, uh, and so don't do that, you guys. Don't do that. When John says, whoever has the Son has life, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Yes, he is talking about the eternal life in ultimate theological terms. But, um, but let's be reminded that the church is also the place where we have refuge from the world to be reminded of that life. The church is the place where the death that is in us and the death that comes to us through hatred, um, we can confess that to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can come together at the Lord's table in remembrance of him and our need for him. The church is the place where um, if you if your mortality and death has become real in your life, that you can find life in Christ through the gospel. We're going to believe someone's testimony. You're going to believe someone's testimony. You're going to base your life on someone's testimony. It's an app on your phone. It's, it's a conversation you have with someone else. Uh, and it's a decision you make in your faith. John's message to us today is that our testimony, the life that we base our testimony on, is the testimony of God. And because God gives you his testimony, he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. His grace is enough in your life. Do not, do not give up on the hope that God offers to you, the life that he offers to you in Jesus Christ. If you're here, whatever trial, whatever testing, whatever temptation you are dealing with in your seat right now, uh, give it to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, give me your life renewed in me again. That is the testimony of God. And, um, and he will give it to you. Uh, let's pray together. Fathers, we close this morning um, the testimony of God is that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. If there are any here or any listening online, or even at another point in a podcast, who are not sure that they have the life of Christ in them, 
Lord, may they confess that Jesus is Lord, submitting their lives to him as Lord. May they come to you, Lord, and say, I believe, I believe, Lord, the God you have raised him from the dead so that I want to be saved. I want this life. I want to base my life on the testimony of God more than the testimony of men. I want to live out of this life. I want to receive this life. I want this life to meet me in moments of death when I forget this life. And for those of us here, Lord, who need to be reminded of that, may you just continue to grace them and bless them with the life of Christ to meet um, and dispel all the other testimonies in their lives to the contrary. In Jesus' name, amen.